0: Welcome to another episode of the Manaverse podcast with your host Tom Traplin. This is session number 30.
1: Like that's the worst thing you could ever do is try to chisel a buck out of somebody by doing something that's not really fair or right or whatever. And so that's one thing that we always, always, always want to do right by the customer because to do any other way is just foolish.
0: Hey guys, welcome to the 30th episode of the Maniverse Podcast. I've got a great show for you today. Our featured guest is the creative content manager for one of the premier LGSs in North America. Perhaps you've heard of them, Card Kingdom and Mox Boarding House. That's right, we're going to dig into the promotions and marketing strategies of two of the most well-known game stores in existence today. Jordan Short will be our guide as we explore the tips and tricks for getting more customers, making more sales, shipping more product. And I think one of the best things to keep in mind as you're listening to this episode is that Card Kingdom started off just like nearly every other LGS. They weren't the well-polished and premium-level shop they are today in the beginning. The brothers started off small, and with hard work and excellent customer service, they grew into an amazing shop that you can visit today. And I definitely recommend you do visit. The private rooms alone could be worth the trip to Seattle. So if you've been wondering how to amplify your LGS and get a handle on marketing this year, this is a great episode to pay attention to. There's a lot to learn when it comes to using the internet to build your business, but Jordan breaks it down and makes it tactical. It's an excellent intro into the world of internet marketing, and with a little bit of magic
1: chit-chat thrown in in the middle. That's enough intro, though. I'll let Jordan take it from here. Um, I guess I'll just introduce myself. Yep. So my name is Jordan Short. Uh, I've been working at Card Kingdom for about six years now. Um, I got a job there because my wife was Facebook for, actually I was a customer originally uh, and my wife was a Facebook friend with the old uh, manager of our tiny little store that we had uh, once upon a time called Berserk Games and so they were doing a release it was a Zendikar release and we just got back from Africa and we were jobless and so my wife got a hold of Annalisa and set us up as temporary workers cracking booster packs of Zendikar which was sweet because I got to open some, uh, hidden treasures or whatever they were called. I opened a, what a bazaar of Baghdad and a, nice. and a, what was the other one? I think it was a, uh, a Eureka, which was not quite as exciting, but still kind of cool. Still pretty good. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you know, so I started as a temp worker and then I got a job as a grader grading cards. And then I was the supervisor of the greatest for a while. And then I started doing sort of more promotional stuff. And now I'm the creative content manager, uh, I love games. I play a lot of board games. Uh, I play a lot of magic, uh, less magic lately just because I've been kind of busy, but um, I started playing really casually way back when and didn't know how the rules worked, which was of course awesome for any magic player. Mm-hmm. I, I had a sweet stone rain deck where I would destroy people's lands at instant speed in response to their casting spells and fizzle their spells because that's how it worked every, right. <laughs> everyone knows that's how magic works. Which was—I'm sure your friends really appreciated that. Uh, they hated it; it was unstoppable. <laughs> but you know, what can you do? The rules are the rules, right? Exactly.
0: That's a pretty cool story. So you climbed
1: the climb the ranks. Yes, slowly but surely. You know, it's a pretty cool place to work. I must say, I'm—you uh, know—the I had worked at a couple of—you know—because I, I was a bartender for a while and a uh, waiter while I was in college, and I worked at a couple of pretty corporate-y places. And then I worked at a nice mom and pop bar that got bought out by some less nice people. So it was definitely a refreshing change to uh, work for a company where the owners are actually here and actually like you know working day to day in the business, and, mm-hmm. and you know are actually like nice, approachable people that you can work that, alongside of.
0: That's always a plus. Yeah.
1: So, uh, so what do you do as part of the uh, creative content manager? What does that mean? Well, we have a pretty kind of crazy set of stuff that we do. We're kind of all over the place. Um, we're a relatively new department in the company, so um, some of the core stuff we do is we have a weekly newsletter that we send out um, that's like a promotional newsletter that we put specials on, and, and we write articles for it. Um, and we also have a, a website, moxboardinghouse.com, one of our, our, our newest store. Um, has its own website and on that site we have like a blog basically that has uh, daily content about board games and magic and occasionally role-playing games and other uh, types so we make content for that we also like curate content for it and um, sometimes we get to shoot videos that are like uh, tutorial videos or review videos for new board games or different types of games Uh, and then we also do just random promotions that we're going to do in the store we organize those Cool, cool. So,
0: why is this a, a new thing? Like you said, it's not a—it's a new department. So, like,
1: what were they doing this kind of stuff before? Just wherever they could fit it, or. What was the yeah, I think that we've kind of always, uh, you know, we've definitely been growing a lot. Well, We've added a new store last year, and, mm-hmm. you know, the, this building card kingdom uh, in Ballard has only been around for about four years now, and we've really grown a lot since we started this place. Um, so I think that we were just, you know, we were pretty small before, and now we're getting big enough that we can actually afford to have a couple people working on um, stuff that's you know not just like day-to-day operations so it's new because of that I think it's new just because the company is finally okay. you know matured enough to have room for it
0: how has it affected the business now that you are focusing on this thing specifically what what
1: are the results should should other people try and emulate this yeah I mean it depends a little bit on which particular thing you're talking about for instance the um, the email that we do weekly mm-hmm. um, has been very very you know it's really easy to point to and say like that makes financial sense to do there's very you know we have google analytics we can look at how many people click the links on the email and we can see you know when we put a special on x we make you know so many dollars with people clicking on it when we do a promotion that's interesting but not necessarily like linked to a high value product we still make money because people are intrigued by something interesting, you know, so we actually can have really hard data on that. So uh, I would I would say if there, anybody is out there in a place where they have even a local um, mailing list, you know, it's definitely something that's worth doing if you have the time to do it. Um, like even my, you know, my parents run a charity and they've got like a thousand people on their mailing list and, you know, like a, a hundred people open it once a month and it's definitely worth doing for them because even then they get people that are responding to them and, you know, in, in depending on what you have for sale, like packing out an event or, you know, selling a high dollar value card, you know, just one transaction can really make it worthwhile. Not to mention the fact that you are like continually reminding people, oh hey, you know, like this is a business that's involved with what I'm interested in. This is something that I should keep in the back of my mind. You know, it's just a way of letting people know that you're still out there and you still care.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's something I'm a, I'm a big proponent of. I use it to keep in touch with people who follow the podcast and all that stuff. It's a big part of the business, and I think it's something that uh, that's kind of a new development. Most game stores aren't really. Technologically uh, adept, a lot of the owners yeah. kind of like yeah. it's very old school, so I think there's a lot of uh, potential. Also yeah, on the absolutely. Internet, just enjoy, and it, like, not even, not even uh, online sales, just to use the
1: tools that are out there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, one thing that we've been talking about doing now that we have two locations is starting a mailing list for our events too. So that's something that you know our our uh, email newsletter that we send out now is geared more towards our online business. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're hoping to do is an events uh, newsletter which is really geared towards getting people into the stores for our events and I think that's something that somebody who owns a a brick and mortar game store can really look at as uh, something that's really helpful to do with uh, like an online newsletter And, and it's it's really kind of overwhelming to think. I, it's kind of funny because I've gone through this with my parents. You know, my parents are in their late 60s. Mm-hmm. And they're certainly not technologically savvy people. Yeah. And, you know, I, I kind of talked to them about possibly doing this kind of thing for a little while. And it just was so intimidating and overwhelming that they just, like, didn't want to do it. And then all of a sudden, somebody turned them on to, uh, I don't even remember what the site is, but it's some, um, it's, some email service provider that i've never even heard of and they just had like a WYSIWYG that made it easy enough for them to do and they just did it by themselves you know they just have like a plug and play like drop your picture here put your message there and you know they're doing it and it's helping them support what they're working on so like anybody can do it you just have to dive in and actually do it like get onto google and google email you know and you can the next thing you can do is just no start working on it once you get your feet wet it's really not as hard as it sounds
0: yeah most technology is pretty intimidating off well, from yeah. the outset but once you really start getting into it you know give it a you know a couple hours a couple days maybe and then you become comfortable with it just takes a little while yeah definitely. so what uh, what tools do you like does a uh, card kingdom use what is the
1: programs and stuff that uh, they use to um, so we we use a a provider called Vertical Response, mm-hmm. um, and you know we've we've gone back and forth looking for other people like the like the may the biggest one that I know of is called Constant Contact, yep. um, and they're you know the problem with all these service providers if you research them on the internet they all have these little dummy pages that they've created that are like fake review sites. Um, so it's kind of hard to get a really straightforward look at who's doing the best but vertical response mm-hmm. has been pretty solid for us um their tools are not amazing but their delivery is a little better than some of the other options that we've looked at um so i, I, I would say that they're a solid choice um constant contact is one of the big ones um you know it's the, like Hard to say whether or they're great or not, but they're big enough that they're like not going to scam you. There's also like Mad Mimi is another of the bigger ones that's a little simpler, I think, to use, um, but doesn't have like the robust features that some of the other places have.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think uh, most most people have their favorites because there are a lot of options, right?
1: There are really a like dizzying amount of options that you can use.
0: Yeah, like I personally just use Mailchimp.
1: Oh, yeah, that's another one. Actually, We've actually used MailChimp for some survey stuff that we've done. We've used SurveyChimp.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's got a lot of cool tools. It's pretty easy to use. It's fairly simple and it's cheap. But somebody could easily just go to Aweber or Infusionsoft or Constant Contact, anything, like any one of those, just pick one and figure it out. And then yeah. it'll probably do just fine for you.
1: Yeah, particularly if you don't, you know, have some kind of crazy huge email list and you don't need, you know, all kinds of weird switches and doodads that ninety nine point nine percent of people are never going to even bother using. So
0: yeah, most of it's a waste of time. It's more about getting your message out there and connecting
1: with people. Yeah, especially just if you're just getting your feet wet and getting started.
0: Yeah, exactly. Ooh. So uh, how did uh, how did you develop the list? Like, where did you start building it?
1: So we've always had um, on our the main place where we get them is just on our website. On our homepage, there's a little box where you, in the like the bottom right of the homepage where you can just fill it out. But then also we, whenever we go to events, uh, whenever we host events, um, that are major events, at least where people are filling out, uh, registration slips. We'll just put a little checkbox on them where if people want to sign up for the mailing list, they can sign up for them. Um, and then we've also done a couple of little like one-off, um, like little raffles and different things like that where people, um, uh, people can sign up for it you know we try to incentivize people um by telling you can't actually it's care be careful what you do because you can't actually say if you sign up for this list then we'll enter you to win this thing Mm -hmm. uh because that's technically like an illegal lottery in the united states so what you have to do is say we're having this thing and you know everybody who's signed up for our mailing list is eligible for it so you should sign up for it which is sort of a weird little distinction but could be important to make
0: yeah, don't want to accidentally break some laws doing this stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, I like talking about the the mailing list and all this. This this stuff. It's not uh, very common for game stores to really
1: be taking part of this. Yeah, we're trying to do some like new kind of cool stuff. Like we just did um, last week. Um, we did a thing. Uh, we did a, like a treasure hunt, basically. Okay. So I went through and I wrote. It was like a thirty-two page thing that was basically like a choose-your-own-adventure uh, in honor of the beginning of Battle for Zendikar, you know, since Zendikar was so like adventure themed, we thought it would be cool if we just like wrote up a storyline where you can like pick like do I want to go on the the Rune expedition or do I want to go into the Colony Heart and then you like pick which party you want to go with and then it presents you with a new little bit of story and a new choice and then along the way we buried some uh, we had uh, an artist that works for us do some Magic card altars so we had some unique Magic card altars that people could pick up and then we had had some original boxes of zendikar that included the hidden treasure zone so you could buy packs of the original cards along the way so you just sort of went through an adventure but on along the route you know there was little pit stops where you could like pick up a a deal on a card you know and then if you got to the end of the adventure you got a coupon code for 10 percent off of everything that you were buying and it's pretty it was it was interesting and fun yeah it was a lot of work actually. I was. It does sound like a lot of work. <laughs> it sounded really fun at first and it actually like writing it was really really fun and you know pretty cool thing to be able to do for work but then implementing it actually was a little more daunting than I was expecting it to be. How did it turn out? Uh, it turned out pretty well like you know we sold a fair amount of the things and you know some people talked about it. I wasn't it didn't work out as well as I'd hoped. You know, of course, I wrote a storyline for it, so I imagined everyone on Earth, you know, emailing yeah. each other and everyone acclaiming me and hoisting me under their shoulders. But apparently, that didn't happen. Uh, but no, it actually it worked out pretty well, and it was it was definitely fun. Like some people really got into it. and I talked to a couple of people that were just like, "That was amazing!" And then you know, X number of people never heard about it. So,
0: but for those few yeah. people who really dug what you were doing, that
1: feels good, right? When yeah, you get absolutely. that person was like, "I and love this.
0: I love it." Do it again. Yeah.
1: And I think for anybody that owns a game store out there, like, that's the thing that you really want to do is, like, create an experience that is linked to your store or your business. If you can make that moment where somebody says, that was freaking cool, and it's associated with your business, then, you know, you have someone who's really going to care about your business and really want to support it.
0: Yeah. Love it. Mm, I I just want to keep talking about this. (laughs) Do you do uh, other stuff other than like email newsletters and stuff, things like that, are you responsible for other forms of promotion?
1: Yeah. Um, You know, like for instance, when we have uh, a store sale, like um, a few weeks ago we had a summer sidewalk sale sale which I was responsible for organizing. The retail managers are the people who end up doing, you know, most of the actual work for it, choosing what's going to be on sale, pricing, and all that kind of stuff. But I am just, you know, in charge of like uh, deciding what kind of promotions we want to, or what kind of sales we want to do. The fact that we want to have a sidewalk sale, and you know how we should brand it, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, you know, I do that kind of thing. I also, um, you know, pick like the specials that are going to be on our email every week. If we're going to do like, for instance, we did a 10% coupon that we put on our homepage a couple of weeks ago for everyone to use. Yeah. Stuff like that. Cool. How do you know which ones to pick? um it kind of depends you know you have to be smart about your inventory um you know like so if you're for instance you're having trouble keeping standard singles in stock you can't do you know like a blowout sale on standard singles you know that kind of thing will yeah. just leave leave the cupboards bare and uh, you know it will mean even if you have good sales for that promotion it, you'll you, know, you won't have any stock to sell later so you have to definitely try to balance um Selling stuff that is attractive and people want with stuff that you might be overstocked on and need to move so it's definitely has a lot to do with what we have in stock you know so if it, and it's random you know it could be amazing stuff like from time to time for whatever reason like third edition dual lands which are uh you know like multiple hundred dollar ticket items for people mm-hmm. who don't who don't play magic they'll just come in too fast and we'll just have too many of them and it'll just be like well i mean we have it at 50 dollars less than everybody else but we still can't sell it for some reason well let's point that out and knock another you know 20 bucks off it and and they'll then they'll fly out the door and even though they're something that's a really high value item um sometimes they're just not moving and so you just got to point it out and then they'll move
0: hmm. i like that strategy point it out then it moves yeah <laughs> it's kind of funny how that works sometimes yeah like it's I mean, been sitting in the case for a year but i pointed it out and then someone bought it
1: it's true sometimes it works like that sometimes it's just that easy of course sometimes it's not that easy yeah sometimes it doesn't work out that way but
0: you, you gotta try right yeah exactly Whew. so you mentioned the, the retail managers and you mentioned them in the plural how many people work at uh, like card kingdom as a
1: whole between the first and the second store um, I'd say so. Between the first and the second store, it's probably about eighty people. Wow! And then we also have an online division that has another probably thirty people. that work that's at it. huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big affair. Um, Bellevue, our new store, Mox Boarding House, um, definitely is even. You know, I I really was flabbergasted when I first saw Car Kingdom when it first opened. I was just like, Wow, this is awesome! It's so big and so nice. And then we opened the Bellevue store Mox Boarding House and I was like you know my I was pretty shocked. It's nicer and it's bigger and it's really, you know, if you you should go if you don't know what I'm talking about for frame of reference go to moxboardinghouse.com and you can see some of the pictures. It's really not what you would picture when you picture your average game store, you know. It's just Oh, I've seen. They put a lot of work into it, man. They really put a lot of work and a lot of dollars into making it, you know, an atmosphere that's unique.
0: Alright, let's talk about that for a second. For those who don't know, like what is what makes Card Kingdom special? And then what's like describe Mox Boarding House for them?
1: Give okay. Them, give them a, a general idea. So um so Card Kingdom and Mox Boarding House, they both have a lot of similar stuff going on. So first of all, it's a game store, but it's a really nice game store and everyone's trained really well to actually like approach the customer and you know like help them choose something that's right for them. Um and I think that uh another great thing about it is that there's uh, a restaurant attached to both of them. So you can go in and you can have a beer, you can have dinner, you can play games with their friends uh, for long periods of time without, you know, like having to sneak a corn dog or something mm-hmm. like that, you know? Um, and so I think that's a big deal, but there also is a really big tournament space at both of the stores. Um, and above and beyond that, there's private rooms and, you know, the private rooms at, uh, at Card Kingdom and Ballard are nice and comfortable but the the private rooms at uh, Mox boarding house are like a cut above so they're themed so the first one is the library and it's you know a room that's got like a table for eight to ten people in it and it's got floor to ceiling and 20 foot ceiling uh floor to ceiling bookshelves lined with like old law books so it's really atmospheric mm-hmm. and the and then the next one is a um an apothecary so it's done up like a turn-of-the-century druggist kind of place so it's got a bunch of bottles full of tinctures and and you know weird chemicals lining the the shelves and then finally there's the speakeasy which is a, a bit bigger of a room that's for like 25 ish people that you can rent out for private parties but it's it's the speakeasy like it's got the door is literally a bookshelf that's like a secret door that you can open and you go in there and there's a little uh, private bar that you can rent out which is really cool. (laughs) I mean, not the kind of thing that you would just expect to stumble upon at a game store, for sure.
0: Yeah, I was definitely putting a smile on my face right now, just imagining.
1: Yeah. Like, that's, uh, I don't know, that that
0: gets the kid in me Mm -hmm. really excited.
1: Oh, yeah. I remember, like, oh, that's so cool. I went there when they were working on it, you know, and, and, uh, we wanted to get open, so the there was a couple of like finishing touches that didn't quite get done. Like the bookshelf didn't have any books or anything on it. And then I went there finally, and they had it all completed, and the bookshelf had books in it. And it actually looked like a bookcase. And then I saw somebody open it, and it was someone who hadn't seen what was inside for the first time, and someone was showing it and just like watching the delight on their face as they opened, mm. and you know, there's the speakeasy inside. It's just kind of a cool thing. So I'm curious about the uh,
0: the private rooms because not every Local game store has that. Mm-hmm. Is that like a? Is that a big money maker? Like you know, you rent uh, them out for an hour, or like at a certain rate per hour, right?
1: Yeah, it's you know, it's. I wouldn't say we do it because it's a big money maker. We do it because it gets a certain kind of group in there, mm. uh, like particularly like the. We, you know we've and we had we've gone a little back and forth on like our policies about them because for a while we didn't charge anything for the rooms and we didn't charge anything to reserve the rooms but then we ended up uh, over the long term like accumulating a few people that were gaming the system and then we're just like booking out the rooms and not always showing up for them yeah and then so that ended up being and you know, obviously problematic so we had to finally start charging people to book the rooms otherwise people would just book them just in case they were gonna go Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, But mostly we do it just because there's, there's like recurring group, you know, there's like role playing game, you know, there's people that have their D&D night in there every week, and they, you know, like, or not every week, usually, we don't have that many people that book them every week, there are a couple, but it's, it's mostly so that we can have the kind of people that want to gather in privacy like that, and have a space for them, because there's some people that, you know, it's really a big difference for them to be able to play in private. You know, there's people, for instance, like on the subject of role players, Mm -hmm. you know, there are people who are, you know, might have um, a little shyness about that kind of thing. Or there are people that will be new to it and will be don't want to, like, dive into it in front of a bunch of strangers. Like maybe they can if they're having beers with their, you know, four best friends, no problem. They can, you know, make an accent like an ogre from where. But if there is a bunch of strangers around, you know, they won't immerse themselves like that. So the privacy is definitely something that some people value for many different reasons so having that option available to people i think is what's great about that
0: gotcha do you get a lot of comments on that like do people really come in and be like oh private rooms that's a really cool idea Can Uh, can i get one
1: yeah you know it's funny i think uh when we first started car kingdom in in ballard um definitely people were like oh that's great you know i'm gonna have my draft night here but it wasn't until we actually opened bellevue and the rooms were turned up you know like just took that Mm -hmm. decorating motif and turned it up you know to 11 and all of a sudden it we definitely have people that are you know it blows their minds I mean, it blows my mind when i look at them they're actually just it's really pretty cool
0: yeah, just from the description, like the pictures I've seen on the, the website, it looks
1: fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, they really went all out on those things. So kudos. That's Damon Morris, one of our owners, was in charge of that kind of thing. And he definitely made sure that they paid attention to detail and worked really hard to make them really cool.
0: Nice. Knocked it out of the park. Yeah, I think so. And right, so it started all, or it all started with Card Kingdom originally, right?
1: Yeah, Card star. Car Kingdom started in the University District. Gosh, what year was that? I think it was maybe like 1999-ish, something like that. And I actually used to go in there. Uh, shortly after they opened, a buddy of mine started playing Magic, and I, I at first I just hated Magic: The Gathering. I was so angry at it because we had a big big group of friends that played chess all the time, and we go. And go over to a buddy of mine Chip's house, and we'd all play chess. And all of a sudden, I went there one day, and literally everyone was playing Magic, and no one would play chess. And everyone was so into Magic, they wouldn't play chess with me. And so I fought it, and I resisted it, and cursed it, and I wouldn't play. And I didn't play for, like, nine months or something like that. And then finally, like, I just had to give in. All my friends were playing Magic and had been forever, so I finally gave in. And then, of course, I loved Magic.
0: Join the dark side. Yep. Should
1: have signed up sooner. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think every Magic player thinks that. Yeah. Because it's, it's generally true. You know, oh, man, I wish I got into this 10 years ago. Back when you know everything I could was have
1: had, super cheap. I could have had fat stacks of black lotuses if I'd yeah. only known. Yep, if only. So what was uh, Card Kingdom like when it first opened? Oh, man, it was just, uh, it was tiny. Like, you know, I'm sitting here in my office that's probably big enough for me to lay down end-to-end in it twice. And that's about how big, uh, how big Card Kingdom was. I never wow. went in the, I never went in the back at that location. But I, from what I gather, it wasn't much bigger than the storefront was. But it was, you know, it was pretty small. It was like a little glass countertop that had some singles in it, and then like a couple shelves on the wall that had booster boxes, and that was pretty much that. That's that's pretty tiny. That's a that's a humble beginning. Yeah, well, and, and and the truth is that the business actually began before that in one of the owner's basements. So it started as, what was it called? Magic Madness, I think, was the original incarnation of it. And uh, the owners are the Morris brothers, Damon and John, but their third brother, and I'm, I apologize, I don't remember what his name is. I've never actually <laughs> met him. I think Aaron, but I'm not positive about that. Anyway, okay. he started that business, and then... Um, he was going back to school or something like that. So he sold it to John and then John will turn it into card kingdom eventually. Uh, but it was in their basement and then he conscripted his brother cause it started going well and he was having trouble keeping up with the orders in, in his basement. And he needed someone to help. And next thing you knew they were big enough that they wanted a storefront. And then after that, they needed another storefront and a bigger one. And then here we are now. That's a, that's impressive considering where they started to where they are now yeah it's funny there you know they've told me some stories about their dad was a really entrepreneurial guy mm-hmm. and um he got them started doing um like baseball card shows so they actually their their roots in this business go back to like going around like flea markets and stuff with like a little display case full of baseball cards and selling baseball cards couple
0: of hustlers eh mm-hmm i'm curious like what uh what is it about the store that caused them to just like let's just keep growing and growing? Like, what were they doing? Is it just the entrepreneurial flair? These guys are just like great. Are they they're just awesome
1: salesmen? Is like what's, what's the secret? <laughs> um, I don't know. You know, I think that there's a couple things to it. I think that um, you know the the growth began in the online store before it really began in the um, in the uh, you know the brick and mortars. I think the brick and mortar you know was pretty. Average for game stores until they moved to Ballard. Um, but before that, you know, they really had growth. I think they had some stuff uh, in the early days of, you know, online magic sales. I think that they were, um, did some stuff that other people weren't doing, like the deck builder and like just some simple technological stuff. They had a better cart, from what I've heard, than, you know, what was around like in the late 90s. So I think that their website was just a little more functional and a little. Like uh, and we've always sort of had an aesthetic on that thing where it doesn't have all, all kinds of weird advertisements and all kinds of mm-hmm. you know like it doesn't have article content and stuff like that that gets in the way of um, making a purchase. So I think that that's sort of the niche they carved out was just like a no nonsense, easy to navigate uh, website that has you know actual tools that you'll really use and uh, and I think that that led to you know us having a pretty good stake in in the online Magic Card. Territory,
0: and that really like drove the growth. Like online sales were a big part of that.
1: Yeah, and I think that another another what that allowed us to do was to have a, a big Magic Card inventory, so that. How that fueled the growth of the brick-and-mortar store is that you come into the brick-and-mortar store and we have access to this huge inventory because we're intending to sell it online. So it's a little larger of an inventory than you would normally keep for that size of a store. So you can actually come into this little you know, brick-and-mortar store that you wouldn't expect to have every Magic card and you can actually order pretty much anything that you want to as far as Magic singles go. Cool. So that was def- definitely a leg up as far as the brick-and-mortar stores go. Cool.
0: So you were Card Kingdom has been doing online sales pretty much since the beginning, then.
1: Yeah, they've been doing it since I want to say 1999, but I'm not positive about uh, what year it was that they were established. What year they changed from Magic Madness into Card Kingdom?
0: So does that uh, like predate sale, uh, sites like Star City?
1: You know, I don't think so. I think that they're pretty contemporary in their origins. Definitely, Star you know predates like Channel Fireball is not very old, but Star City Games I think was around at about the same time. Um, I'm not sure what their established date is, but it's close. I know that we've talked, had a conversation about that before, and it was pretty similar. Startup yeah. time.
0: Okay, so what was it like? Uh, well, what was it like, and what is it like being part of the online sales space? Like you're a pretty big uh, part of that whole that niche, right? The Star City's huge, Channel Fireballs huge, uh, cool stuff. Inc. You know, there, there's a bunch of them out there. What's it like? Uh,
1: being a part of that like how do you how do you compete um i mean that's a good question we compete by there's a lot of different things that go into it obviously we compete by just trying to order smartly um trying to purchase you know i think one of our biggest battles is continually trying to purchase cards that's one thing um that those guys have a little leg up on us is they have the you know the traveling uh events Mm -hmm. which are just like a card buying engine um so we, you know, focus on trying to uh, buy cards so that we can have cards to sell, obviously, is a big deal. Um, and, like, adopt little things that we've done. Like, we were, uh, several other places are doing it now, but we, um, you know most people were giving like 20% store credit if you would tra- sell your cards to us and then be paid in store credit and we you know a long time ago decided that we wanted to do 30% store credit because we wanted our buying to be strong um, since then a lot of people have followed suit in that but that's definitely one thing that we focused on we've also focused on um like having really consistent grading and, and fairly strict grading. Like, we're not crazy about it, but, um, you know, we want people to be able to order a Near Minute card and get it and be like, yeah, that's Near Minute. You know, I, I, confidence. I yeah, I, definitely. That's what it's all about is confidence that we do, um, you know, we do what we're, we say we're going to do. We also have really good customer service as far as confidence goes. I think that people who um, have shopped with us for a while, you know, really realize that, you know, we're, we're fair and we're we're always above board and you know that's one thing that i would say to anybody out there who is a game store owner if you ever feel like the slightest bit shady about anything you're doing stop because you're doing it wrong like that's the worst thing you could ever do is try to chisel a buck out of somebody by doing something that's not really fair or right or whatever and so that's one thing that we always 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 want to do right by the customer because to do it any other way is just foolish
0: well, besides being a jerk it also yeah. it's just very short-sighted thinking you're gonna make a profit or you're gonna get that you know a couple extra bucks out of somebody and you're probably gonna lose a customer for life yeah and possibly absolutely. their friends and possibly their friends and like yeah just down downhill slide
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the reverse side of that coin is that, you know, while you don't want to do anything to, you know, piss people off or make people feel badly about your transaction, you also, you know, like if something goes wrong in particular, when we fix it, we fix it right. Like if if somebody gets shipped the wrong card or something like that, you know, we say, you know, if it's, you know, if it's not like a Black Lotus or something, we say like, you know, keep that, you know, we screwed up. That's you know we'll fix it. We're gonna send you the right card. Just hang on to that. We're not gonna make you go through the hassle of like packing that, going to the post office, and sending it back, and all that kind of stuff. Like little things like that really make a difference in the way that people feel. Like if we make a mistake on someone's order, maybe we'll throw them a little bit of store credit, or you know, just whatever little things we can do to make people feel good about it. Like the same thing that like Zappos did. Like they, you know, that's why Amazon is what it is today is because they make you know they make sure that they're taking care of customers and once those customers feel like they can depend you know on the company to be treated fairly by it like why would they go somewhere else you know
0: yeah yeah no i guess it's hard working in like good customer service into an online sales kind of thing but you can definitely do it and you definitely should yeah you know go above and beyond just being a faceless merchant on the internet
1: yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's something that you know it's hard to do it with every single person. But you know, if like for instance, if there's ever a mistake, that's obsolete. Like we really look at it because uh, my wife is actually the customer service manager here.
0: Do, do do do. So at this point in the conversation, we had to pause for a little bit. The vacuum was turned on in the background, and that makes for some really terrible noise. So there may there was a little bit of a separation here between what we were talking about and where we ended up making it up. So. For the next few minutes, we have a conversation about uh, Magic, Moto, Hearthstone, and a few other things. And then we get right back into the show, so enjoy this. Yeah, intermission. So, meantime,
1: how long have you been playing Magic? Like, um, what, When did you start with the... I think it was Eventide when I started playing Magic. Um, and I played pretty casually with a group of friends for about a a year and then i stopped playing for a little bit and then i made a new friend who played magic and he was a little more competitive and so i started playing um actually that's not true i played a little bit that before eventide i played i think it was like around onslaught for a few months and then i and then i stopped and then i got back into it with that friend who was more competitive uh around eventide gotcha Uh, played in my first ptq which was interesting and exciting although i got my butt kicked of course
0: that's generally what happens first tournament's always a always a rough one yeah
1: it's funny you know of course you go you're playing with your play group and you think you're a badass and then you go and (laughs) play with people who actually know how to play the game and they show you
0: you have no idea what you were doing here like oh wow yep yeah i basically had these a similar experience many many years ago I think I started playing around 5th edition.
1: Nice.
0: And then, you know, typical, like, this was a long time ago, so I was pretty young young when I started, so typical uh, beginning kid deck. I was like, oh, I'm I'm playing mono-white circles of protection because they're awesome. That way I can't be damaged, right? How can I lose? (laughs) And then, yeah, I go to a big tournament. There's a couple of, uh, or at least back then, there were a couple of, Big independent tournaments. They like they weren't a, weren't necessarily associated with a store. It was just a couple of guys who would host a massive event, and a couple hundred players would show up to a uh, convention hall or something. And uh, yeah, got my got my butt handed to me. Yeah, um, I think that was a if you remember that was when uh, Memory Jar was released. <laughs> oh wow! Around the versus Legacy, like that was yeah. my first tournament. And yeah, I definitely remember yeah, losing to a like a turn two Memory Jar. And have no idea what's going on. Just what? draw like twenty one cards. Oh, you have a meager mount? I am dead now.
1: Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah like, that sounds like quite a quite an environment to step into. You it know, are brutal. <laughs> they're actually uh, a yeah, circle they, uh, of protection. Yeah,
0: I don't like, think okay. I have enough mana for this to work. <laughs> it was pretty funny though, because uh, at least with that event, the uh, memory jar was just released, and the tournament organizer was like, they knew immediately that this was going to be a problem. It was yeah. like a couple of weeks where the card was legal to play, and people already knew that this was a completely degenerate combo. And uh, the tournament organizer was actually like, thinking about banning it that day. Just be like, I have to change <laughs> the ban list because like this is going to be terrible. But so many people had brought the deck. Yeah. That like oh you just so well you know you are gonna boot like a hundred players out of this place. Like that's like half the tournament. Like it should be t- it'd be a terrible business decision. But yeah. the tournament itself was like oh this is
1: pretty pretty bad just. Mm. <laughs> Memory jar, mirror matches all over the place. People are just like basically flipping coins for eight hours in a row.
0: Pretty much. Pretty much. Those are the days of like ten dollar dual lands.
1: Oh man, I wish no, I was oh about this.
0: <laughs> I think that's the one of one of the funnier things about uh, being a magic player. For for so long, I have so many regrets of selling <laughs> so many cards yeah. throughout the history of the game that like if I just kept it all at the time and you know, I'd probably have thousands of dollars of of uh, collection value that i that i threw away basically
1: i recently looked at my mtgo collection and it had the exact opposite reaction because i had so many legacy cards that used to be extremely expensive mm-hmm. and now they've just reprinted them and then when they reprint cards on magic online oh my god they plummet in value like you know Hundred and eighty dollar lion's eye diamonds are all of a sudden like sixteen bucks, and oh, uh, it's just brutal.
0: That's rough stuff. Interesting that it goes in reverse.
1: Yeah, I think they just the they print so many more nowadays that when they hit you know any kind of a reprint, it just crushes the price.
0: I guess that's actually pretty interesting because when Wizards prints the paper packs, right? It's just they control how many go out. But when Wizards creates the Masters Edition for Moto, the yeah. like how many go, get into the system is completely determined by how many people just choose to draft and buy packs. So yeah. they have no, actually, there's no, uh, there's no uh, valve to control how much is going out. And yeah, uh, the economy it's definitely
1: a, gets really warped that way. Pretty interesting uh, hmm. economy, just like to look at it from a an- third-party perspective and just see how they try to control that like i mean when you get to the place where like the packs that they're awarding out are barely worth like the entry fee for participating in the tournament i mean how do you how do you deal with that it's so difficult
0: yeah well that's why they try to well they're trying to produce a solution right with the uh, what was it the prize the play the play, play points. points yeah play points. it's been a while since i played moto so i've stepped away for a bit
1: yeah I've been thinking more and more lately about uh getting rid of my collection.
0: I've known a few people who've chosen to just sell the whole thing and just get out because like it, you know basically what we we're just talking about it's really unstable. The game's still pretty good. it's yeah. not perfect like the the u i like you know the usual complaints that Moto's had for ten years you know people put up with it because Magic's great, not because the the game platform itself is good. But yeah, a lot of people are like, "This is the final straw. I'm out. I'm gonna go play Hearthstone now."
1: Yeah. Yep. I and I completely understand that. You know, if I was less, ever so slightly less into Magic than I am, I think I probably would have done that on several occasions because I've had real problems with with the UI and with uh, just bad lag and yeah, crashing
0: and glitches and yeah, yep. the thing. Yeah, I remember when they uh, transferred to version four, and then every. Like it, the longer the program was open, the more likely it would just crash because of mm. the memory leak problem. Yep. And like, no matter what, uh, how awesome your computer was, eventually you'd run out of RAM and the com- and the program would crash. And just yeah, just terrible, terrible things. And that's something I've been. I say that to most people. I talk about uh, when I explain magic and what's going on in the, in the community and stuff. Yeah. Wizards made a great game, but they are not a technology company
1: nope and then they hire you know people who are being hired for their magic merits instead of their programming rat exactly
0: <laughs> they should have just kept uh, Moto version 1 when they were working with the, uh, that one company
1: uh, is that the were- version that had like the little playroom and they had little avatars where you would literally like yeah. walk to a table with an avatar and sit down at a table
0: yeah I thought that was so cool <laughs> the little like the massive room with a bunch of like trolls and ogres and stuff just sitting at a table and like you could see who you were sitting across from and yeah it was a little more interesting that way but just it was a it reminded me a lot of like chandelier and stuff like that and had a lot more yeah. uh, fantasy feel yeah. whereas now it's it's i don't know i think they're trying to modernize it but it's just it just looks soulless yeah and well
1: yeah <laughs> yeah that might be so oh well I finally played Hearthstone for the first time, and now I can see like, oh yeah, this is works a lot better than Magic Online as I can see why people want to just get into this. Well, Blizzard makes a good much, game. Much easier to learn too.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't have the depth that Magic has. Like Hearthstone yeah. is not going to; it would take them a, a very long time for them to approach the complexity that Magic has. That makes it really interesting.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, just the fact that you can't play spells on each other's turns and we can't respond to other people's actions and that, yeah. It would, just can't ever, I think, be as complicated as magic. Yeah, and but then also like the
0: card pool is not as large, so there's just not the same number of interactions. There's all like the number of strategies is much more narrow. Yeah, it, it's still a really good game. And the thing about Blizzard, or, yeah, thing about Blizzard and Hearthstone is that they know what they're doing. They've made you know digital games for a long, long time, and, and they're all great. Like Blizzard is one of the best video game company creators. They've got the the best franchises, essentially, but uh, they've made a game that's excellent as a spectator sport too. Yeah, like you know, Magic is great, but when you're watching it, if you're not a Magic player, it's really boring. Yeah, it's really hard to follow. You just nothing's going on, nothing really interesting. But whereas in Hearthstone, people are exploding. Like yeah. the spells have cool effects and like you can see the, how they interact with the board, like that kind of stuff. That makes it much more interesting.
1: Yeah, you have to read and understand a magic card as opposed to actually just seeing, you know, like a, a missile come shooting out of your avatar into one of the others minions.
0: Yeah, or like the like a big seven seven or an eight eight or something smashing into someone else. Like you can you have a a visual understanding of what's going on. You don't necessarily need to know what the cards are to have an idea of what the game's or what's happening in the game. Yeah. So yeah. Aspirations for Moto to try and achieve at some point, maybe. Maybe you know what? if it, it will doesn't be nice. just disappear. Yeah, I hope not. Yeah, I hope not too. Okay, well, I think we could probably continue.
1: All right. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like the vacuuming lady is done.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's on another floor now. So, okay, where were we? <laughs> Can't remember exactly where the conversation ended, but uh, yeah. Maybe we could just uh, jump onto like social media stuff. Sure. Okay, so, well, what do you use for social media? Like, how? Uh, what does Card Kingdom use as its social media platform?
1: First, so Card Kingdom has a lot of different social media outlets, but basically, we focus on Facebook and Twitter. Like those, you know, those are the ones that are the most popular. And you know, ins- Instagram, I think, is g- gaining a lot of ground on those guys, um, but. There, particularly in the magic community, there's, I think, an inordinate number of people. I think in gaming community in general that are on Twitter, like, I think it's more popular in the game community than like, the population at large, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've chosen to focus on, on those two, and particularly on Facebook. Facebook is the one thing that like, pretty much everybody has. I mean, you know when you hear about somebody who doesn't have a Facebook profile, you're like, "Oh, that's definitely out of the ordinary." And yeah. on, It's kind of surprising, actually. Yeah. yeah, and so I think that it makes sense for pretty much anybody that's you know not like a gigantic corporation that can afford to pay somebody to really focus on all those things to like pick one and focus on it or pick however many they can actually focus on. Like we we sort of maintain um, accounts on you know like we have uh, um, you know what am I thinking? Yeah, man, I'm just drawing blanks on that. Uh, on all our social media things you know we have um, tumblr we have google plus we have like all that kind of stuff but we don't focus on it like we maintain a presence Mm -hmm. so mostly for if like people want to contact us it's a way for them to get in touch with us um but then we you know really are focusing on putting content out there on uh, just a couple of things so that we can actually have like a, an engaged experience with the users. Because if if you're there and it's just a ghost town, like, you know, it might be worth doing it so that if someone is on Google plus and they have a customer service question, you do have an account and they can actually get a hold of you through that medium. But if you're not actually going to be on there and engaging with people, like the last thing you want to do is have, you know, something where someone's like, hello, hello, anybody there? Hello. I'm no. asking you a question. Um, so we, you know, we definitely focus on on Facebook and Twitter, and we've we've tried to make um, some changes more, get more people involved with it lately. So we've been, you know, throwing up a, a question like every morning, asking people, you know, what do you think of the new dual lands, or um, you know, what are the expedition lands going to be worth, or who's your favorite planeswalker? You know, just just conversation simple starters. Just simple stuff to get people talking. Yeah, exactly. And you i can't say that you know we're doing anything like revolutionary or amazing but you know we're definitely paying attention and there to answer questions for our people and and there to engage with people when they actually want to talk to us and i think the most important thing that you can do on social media is just actually like talk to the people you know don't don't like for instance if you're going to do um you know a daily discussion question like that don't just like somebody you get know, somebody that responds to it and then you don't bother to respond to them you know that's sort of a turn off
0: yeah definitely need to follow up with everything yeah keep the conversation going so do you do, I, uh is a? excuse me as a facebook ad or is a card kingdom ever actually like done facebook advertising or twitter ads or anything like that or do you, is it all just uh like organic growth
1: we have done Facebook advertising, not for, like, we haven't done, we haven't bought likes or anything like that, mm-hmm. uh, but we have done, um, for instance, we did a, um, we did, last time we did it was, we did a sale on Modern Masters boxes, and so we just promoted that item, basically, uh, on Facebook. And it would, you know, it worked, it was pretty much a break-even return on investment, Um I have the and the time before we did it. I think it was a little underwhelming. So it, it, you know, I wouldn't say that Facebook is or Facebook advertising isn't is an avenue that um, is uh, not producing results. I would say it's probably more that we don't have the experience to maximize it and possibly the budget to maximize it. Um, You know, we've tried also. We've also tried to like boost a couple of posts. And I I would not say that we've had overwhelming results from that kind of thing. So we're a little gun-shy about that. Um, I think it's probably worth it if there's something that you really, you know, like if there's a product you really want to sell. For instance, like the Modern Masters boxes. You know, Modern Masters was something that started off the last, Modern Masters 2015. Um, The box price just nosedived. And we're like, this price is going down and down. So we're, we'll be much better off if we undercut the competition by a little bit and sell these boxes now at this price, as opposed to mm-hmm. you know taper them out over the next couple few weeks and you know whether the price has maybe gone below what our sale price is going to be. So I think it's an avenue worth exploring if you really want to get a product out there. We, that's the only time that we've really had a lot of return on an investment for it. I think that if you're a big company and you can continually like boost posts and pay to get your name out there, like that's the, it's kind of like TV advertising though. You know, it's like using a double barrel shotgun. You're just like throwing it out there, trying to hit everything at once. And that works if you just have tons of money to throw at it, but it doesn't work if you're, you know, a relatively small business that really needs to get bang for your buck.
0: That's mm, fair. When you uh, let's take the Modern Masters stuff as a as an example. When you advertise that, what kind of campaign did you create?
1: Um, I didn't actually manage the campaign, but essentially what we did was we just uh, we you know used the Etch Champion logo and had you know Modern Masters sale and the price of the box and um, just had like a basically like a boosted post that that linked to that item on CarKingdom.com gotcha
0: okay and uh then the question is uh, how did you determine the audience for it
1: um so i believe that we um we remarketed to people who have shopped at our site so we were pushing it specifically to people who are card kingdom um card kingdom who liked card kingdom there's a lot of different stuff that you can do with that. You can mm-hmm. uh, you can try to clone your audience, which is kind of a cool feature where you can try to uh, get a new audience that's as similar to the people who like your page as possible. Which is a very intriguing way to advertise to people. You can do you know demographics, obviously. You can do um, people's job titles. You know people who like this. Um, so there's definitely a lot of ways to target your uh, to target. Specific audiences on Facebook, which is definitely one of the most intriguing things, you know, about doing it.
0: Yeah, for sure. There's a huge number of uh, criteria that you can use to narrow down your your audience, and, I th- and the thing that you mentioned before, the uh, the audience clone, is one of the I think one of the most powerful because like, yeah, you particularly, take the people that already like your page and have already visited your site, assuming you've put in the custom Facebook audiences code already. Yeah. Then, uh, yeah, you're gonna start, kind of start targeting those people who should probably like your product, but just maybe haven't discovered you yet.
1: Yeah. Good way. Yeah, to and go. I think there's a pretty good chance that we'll try to um, delve a little more into Facebook advertising as we grow. Like, for instance, I, you know, I've only been doing this job for about three months now, two months actually, two and a half months. Um, so I think that it's something that we'll probably go grow into when we're ready. We just don't want to dive in headfirst and end up wasting money because we don't actually know what we're doing yet. Good plan, good plan.
0: Hmm. Now, you mentioned uh, prices before. That's something that uh, I do like to dig into a little bit. How do you determine the prices on your cards?
1: Um, So I actually was the pricing manager here for a few years, and it is... um, a lot of work. It's definitely a huge mm-hmm. deal to keep on top of prices. There's so many magic cards out there. There's so many. Each magic card has a foil version. You know, there is promo versions. There is just a lot of different items to keep track of and a lot to do. So, um, you know, the first thing that I did as far as pricing was to break um, all magic cards into a bunch of distinct groups, so that you end up um, targeting the groups that matter the most and then you also don't let anything slip through the cracks and never get like repriced again. So I would, every day I would always look at every single mythic and every single rare from standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, I would usually have, we have a, like a hot list of, if a card sells more cards, you know, like in a one week period than it has like in the previous, um, like month or so, um, uh, you know, then we'll say, like, oh, this card is accelerating, we should pay attention to this. You know, So I have a little hot list that I looked at. Um, but mostly it's just kind of common sense. But you just got to get your eyes on the right cards, I think is even more important than trying to figure out whether to price a card up or, or down. Because I think other than um, big outliers like a card getting banned or reprinted, uh, it's mostly just common sense you can if you can you know we track our sales i think is an important thing okay. so you know if you're like a mom-and-pop shop and you're not tracking sales then it would be harder to price this way but you know we're an online company so we're actually tracking our sales I and mean, just look at what's coming in and what's gone out you know if we've got hundreds of a card pouring in and they're moving out of a trickle then obviously we need to price the card down because mm-hmm. we're either paying too much for it or we're charging too much for it um and that's basically, you know, what I would say is, it's common sense. You know, just look at if if we can't keep a card in stock, well, then we need to raise the price because it's selling too fast, and we're not buying it quickly enough. And our our buy price is related to our sell price. So if we raise the price that we're charging for it, that will raise the price that we're paying for it. We'll get more of them in. It'll slightly slow down the rate that they're going out, and then you know, eventually that should reach an equilibrium so that we have the cards in stock for the best price that we can offer
0: and hopefully it optimizes the uh the return yeah yeah so you don't actually uh like a, you don't uh you determine your own prices essentially you choose like based off of the supply and demand in your own area and like your own business that's so, how much you're going to value things at
1: yeah um so we yes uh we definitely look at, co- at the competition you know you got to look at the okay. competition because even even if you know even if i look at the numbers and the numbers tell me i want to charge this price if everybody else is charging 2 bucks less than that well, i say well this is a card that we probably have to eat it you know our margin has to be a little less than we would like on it because we need to stay competitive on this card so definitely definitely take that into account like whenever i would Whenever I would uh, price cards, I would just call up, you know, several major competitors and have their sites open, and I would always be looking at their prices on things when I'm looking at our prices on things. Yeah,
0: especially in the online space, you gotta. It's yeah, the it's global a, marketplace, right? You have to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a different thing if you know someone wants to come in on a Friday night magic and buy, uh, you know, a card for their deck that they're going to play at F and M at your shop, as opposed to you know someone who is can wait doesn't need that card imminently right there and can afford to you know shop the competition it's very easy to shop the competition online these days so you have to you know have to compete
0: yes okay and then uh another question was uh what 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 platform does uh card kingdom use to sell cards online like what uh a lot of places use crystal commerce i think it's a easy solution but is a. is that something that car kingdom uses or is do they have a custom?
1: So we have a, we have a proprietary thing that we developed. Yeah. Our owner, John, um, I'm not sure that the, there is a, uh, you know, a database program that it's based off of, but it's very customized. It's definitely something that, uh, he created and has been, you know, evolving over the years.
0: He built it himself. It
1: built himself. Yep. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, basically been our developer the whole time that we've been in business he's you know very handy at that sort of thing that's the strength that he has brought
0: that seems like a pretty good skill to add to the uh, the whole venture
1: yes absolutely it makes him, him a very busy person but
0: mm. you think that would uh, that would be useful for other people to adopt like if if there was one thing you could learn is something like that uh, a good contributor to the idea of uh, running a game store
1: no, I don't think so. to be honest. I think that you know it doesn't scale well like there's definitely a place on the curve where that's very helpful, and I think it's past like owning a local game shop and it's before like owning a major chain you know like it's mm, there's a yeah. place there's a place in between there where that's invaluable, and then you know like eventually it will become too big or eventually you're or before that you know it's like too it's small. Just over, yeah yeah it's just overkill there's no no need for that you can pay somebody else instead of investing all your time to learn that kind of thing.
0: Fair enough. So what uh if you had to pick a skill, if like you recommend something for an entrepreneur to have before they open a game store, what would you say that uh, they should kind of strive for?
1: Well, I think that they should strive to, you know, have good systems in place for. I think it's just like any other business you just need to be proactive about figuring out um, you know, what's looking like it's going to sell like managing your inventory well i think is like a really big deal that Mm. is um overlooked a lot of times in game stores i uh i've got a guy that works with me chris rollins who uh had a story about a game store that he went into not too long ago and he went in and he asked i don't remember what game it was but he was asking about an old board game and they looked it up on their computer and they said oh yeah we have a copy of that and he's like awesome i'll take that and then he said own. yeah, it's in the back somewhere and like it's a mess back there. I don't know. I I can't find it right now. So you can't buy that. Blah. <laughs> you know, I mean, so it just like, you know, managing your inventory uh-huh. well and buying the stuff that's actually going to sell, you know, like I think that a lot of people have ideas that they're going to open a game store and they're going to sell the stuff that they like. You know, the fact is that that's not necessarily a smart idea. Like the smart idea is to buy like more copies of Settlers of Catan and Ticket to Ride and stuff like that you know if you want if you develop a clientele that's going to get into some niche product then that's awesome but you need to you know you need to have copies of D&D Player's Handbook and you know you need to have the stuff that's going to move because it's just like looking at a bell curve the most people are in the middle of the bell curve they're going to start with the most basic stuff and branch out from that kind of thing so you need to have that basic stuff for them. And you also need to be nice to people. Like, that's the biggest thing <laughs> that I've experienced as far as dealing with game stores and whether or not I'll stick with a game store is do I like the owner? Like, do I like the people mm. that work there? Like, are they trained to be nice? And, like, that's, you know, I want people to help me when I have a question, things like that. Like, you know, having good customer service, being nice to people. I, one time I went to a game store in Seattle for a pre release. And uh, they had, like, a glass display case full of, uh, you know, higher-priced Magic cards. Okay. And somebody had asked to look at them. And so the the owner was kind of put out by it, and he just scooped them all up into a pile and, like, handed all of them to this guy. And this guy looked at him for a minute and decided he didn't want anything, or maybe he stole one. I don't even know. Um, mm-hmm. But the guy left them. On, and so the owner went back and started playing a video game. And it was during a pre-release, and the store was... Packed, and so there was this big pile of all his most expensive cards just laying unattended on the glass case when the store was really busy. And so Seems was like, like a terrible oh, idea. Like something bad's gonna happen with that. So I grabbed him and I brought him over to the proprietor. And I was like, Oh, I think you forgot these on the counter over there. And he was so irritated at me, he was like, They just like gave me attitude. And I was just like, I am never ever in my life coming back to this store because I just did something nice to you. And yeah, you're, you're welcome, just I just saved you
0: thousands of dollars from being uh-huh. stolen. No, I'm never going to see you again.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, if you want to get into being at a game store because you just want to sit on your butt and play video games, your store is going to go out of business because that store went out of business. If you're going to, you know, get into it because you love playing games... That's another thing you have a passion for it. Hopefully, you also have a passion for like talking to people and getting people engaged with you. Because if you're a local place, if you actually talk to your people and they like you, that's what's going to differentiate you from like ordering on Amazon or ordering from some place like that. Like you, the only reason that they're going to want to do it is because they like you. They like the environment of your store. Like you can't compete on prices on anything that somebody on Amazon is selling. So you need to offer something that they can't offer on the internet
0: yeah that's actually a, a conversation I had yesterday with somebody when I was explaining magic and the community and game stores in general is that uh, yeah you have to have that uh, that experience if you're going to actually run a brick and mortar local game store you need, you need to create that kind of sense of community it's a place that you can go to have fun and enjoy yourself and meet friends and you know play your favorite games because that's the only thing that you can do differently, as opposed to like Amazon and Star City and stuff. Because like, there's no way you could possibly compete with them on prices, because like they're just going to sell cheaper than you for, for the most part. So yeah. people aren't going to like if you you can't just make a lot of money selling magic cards for more than the internet's going to sell them because no one's going to buy them from you. But yeah, if you have the experience, if you create a place that people want to go, then that's the thing that's going to make your business successful
1: yeah and I think there's a lot of different facets to using the word experience Like the bare bare minimum is treating people nicely like having a clean store like doing the ABC's that really make you know make it a business and make it not someone's basement and then there's the next level which is like going out and trying actively to like what am I going to do differently that's going to separate me from what other people are doing like how do I make this even better like do I buy everybody pizza at the pre-release do I you know like what is it that i'm doing that's going to make this experience this moment in time stand out in someone's brain how can i actually do something that will be a memory that they might share with another person like what can i do to get this person that's here to enjoy their time and then take the next step and actually tell one of their friends about it so that all of a sudden that friend says well i want to go there too that sounded really cool you know like you gotta Mm -hmm. you gotta do something out of the ordinary to stand out
0: yeah you can't be just another retail place and the nice thing about that whole idea is that it's very easy to make someone's day. It's not hard. It's a it's a very uncomplicated thing. Like you said, it, it could be as simple as just you know buying pizza for the pre release or something. Just a very, you know pretty tiny investment. You know just a little bit of money, and people will be blown away by the uh, by your generosity or what you're providing. Like. Just a little gesture is enough to really make someone from just like, oh, it's just a customer every once in a while to someone who really like a raving fan kind of thing.
1: Yeah, do something, you know, like a new set comes out and there's one, you know, like one Mythic Rare that's like a $30 card or something like that. Go to the pre-release, and like, oh, I, you know, if you get your hands on one, I tape one underneath someone's seat. Everybody look underneath your seat like, oh, one person won this thing. Like everybody will remember looking under their seat like they're on Oprah or something. And yeah. One per, you know, you give somebody a $30 card and everyone that's in that room will remember that moment and they will probably tell other people about that moment. Yeah, you'd,
0: I like the uh, the idea of being like Oprah in a game store. Makes me
1: <laughs> you get a Jace the Mind Sculptor, and you get a Jace.
0: That would be an event. That would – like you'd uh, be able to put that on YouTube, and people would be like, wow, yeah. holy crap. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's, just, it's little things like that too uh, that really make you stand out. Like there's a, a game store that I've been to that just kind of like hands out booster packs. And like if you bring in a friend, like I've never seen you before, here's a booster pack. Thanks for bringing in a friend. You know, little things. Like it's not doesn't really cost the store that much, but it's like for someone who just walked into this business, they're like, "Here's some free stuff," and for magic players, that's like, "Ooh, booster pack, sweet value." Yeah, exactly. I love that kind of thing.
1: And it's all relative too. You know, we gave like there was a kid that uh, was coming in here that uh, like was playing magic with his friends, but he didn't have any of his own magic cards, and so we like save and whenever anybody ditches like draft commons and uncommons like that we save them mm-hmm. and so we gave this kid just a bunch of like you know basically trash uh commons and uncommons from discarded drafts and the kid was ecstatic he was like beside himself because he had, you know like all of his friends were playing magic and he just didn't have any money to play magic and then all of a sudden you know we gave this kid all these cards and he like wrote us a letter and like it was you know it was awesome it was the tiniest little nothing f- you know all it took from us was the thought to do it. You know, it didn't cost us any money. Didn't cost us anything like that. And it totally made a difference in that, you know, for that kid. And who cares? Maybe that kid becomes a lifelong customer or maybe he doesn't, but whatever. Like it was great for that kid and it was great for the employees who were involved in it. And even if, even if that doesn't turn into money, that turns into a positive environment where people feel good about where they're working, feel good about where they're playing and all of that matters. Like if you want, a good environment where people are going to be happy with what they're doing where they're at, you know, you just doing little nice things is a great way to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great way to establish your, your business in the community as a good one yeah. from all the others. Cause there's tons and tons of them nowadays. Lots of people are uh, throwing out their attempt at uh, running a local game store. So you got to rise above the fray.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely tough. There's, you know, It's it's a tough business to make it in. You know, if you if you uh, are unprepared for what it's really going to be like, like you know, it's hard work and there's lots of competition and sometimes like the profit margins aren't as great as you would like them to be. Um, But I think it's also like the one of the most rewarding fields you could be in because it's so social and there's you know there's so many opportunities to meet new people and you know it's definitely a lot of great stuff to be done. In this field, oh, yeah.
0: I think it's one of the best businesses. Well, I'm a big fan of games in general, but when your business is built off of like selling games and providing a space to play them, and like that all all of that, I think it's just like I think games are intrinsically a, a, a good thing.
1: Yeah, like it, a
0: good with like a capital G, like that kind of good. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, being a part of that, it's it's like yeah, you can make a lot of money selling cigarettes, but <laughs> it's kind of like well, do you want probably don't poison the world that way kind of thing whereas you can't really complain no one's gonna be like oh games are bad for
1: you they are teaching teaching people skills and they're laughing shame shame on you yeah how dare you so like it's it's
0: a viable business and i think it's one of the the, one of the best things you can do for your customers like in general like short of educating them on something like a like an actual teacher you know just games are uh it's a great thing. And I I would I would be happy if more people could do it better basically. Yeah. That was a bit of a rant.
1: <laughs> it's okay, that's worthwhile. Every every rant has its place in passion. So and the internet. Yes, internet and passion.
0: Okay, so uh, hmm. is anything interesting? Anything exciting? Coming up for
1: uh, or that, the Mox Boarding House is working on. Um, a Mox Boarding House in particular, we've been doing. Uh, let's see, we did a, a modern no band list tournament um, recently. We're about to have. Uh, we had the second in- of them uh, last weekend, just the other day, Saturday, I think. That sounds or pretty cool. Sunday, yeah, it's really cool. It's just, uh, you know, one one of the things we I've been talking about is like our like experiences and how do we do something that sort of stands out as being different mm-hmm. and you know we we're talking about well what you know what kind of tournaments could we do that would be interesting and different and you know a real low-hanging fruit seemed to be modern no band list. you know we've heard people talk about it in the past and we've put articles up on our blog about you know what it would be like and we so we just figured well let's just do that and see what happens and so uh justin Treadway is a our graphics uh graphic designer and he made like a really awesome uh, A really awesome poster for it and it was the poster is so cool actually that uh we had people from all over the country asking us to use the poster to do uh the same tournament in their own stores um cool and the event you know the event turned out to be not huge it had like 25 people but there were like as many spectators as there were players in the field which was interesting. interesting yeah it was very interesting uh and then you know i think that the field turned out not to be quite what everybody was expecting, which was cool. Um, there was a lot of Delver decks. I think that people were expecting like tons of Affinity and then like crazy combo like Storm and Elves, um, but it actually turned out to be like the Fair decks that sort of ruled the day.
0: Interesting. That's. Yeah. Hmm, that does make you kind of wonder, like if that's what happens when there is no ban list. Yeah. Maybe they could do without it, or like you know maybe some of the cards could come off turns out it's not as degenerate as they thought it would be
1: yeah it's uh you know i think that Mm -hmm. the capability is still there for like the early turn kills that are sort of turn off to people who are more into you know like a creature combat oriented uh metagame but i think it's pretty pretty safe compared to what people imagine it would be like you know like we'd there wasn't people killing people in a storm on turn one there wasn't anybody going off with elves you know, and it was it's kind of weird because it's kept in pl- i think a lot of that is kept in place by the fact that almost everybody was playing mental misstep
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. so so i don't mm. know if that's a good or a bad thing uh, overall depend- i think a lot of people will feel a lot of different ways like i i i can't afford to play it in real life but i play online vintage and you know mental yeah. misstep is everywhere there and that doesn't bother me so i could definitely I don't think I would be too bothered by mental misstep being legal in modern. Although I do remember when it was legal in Legacy, and I did not like that.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That uh, mental misstep—I think it was Legacy that uh, inspired the ban. Yeah, because that was—it yeah. was a major problem in that format. I don't see it being that bad in modern. I think I think a lot of the, just as a side note, I think a lot of the modern like banned restricted things. They. They set them up when they created the format just because they thought that they might be a problem. So they're like, oh, let's just eliminate them before anything happens.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then
0: we'll see how it goes. But I think they're kind of afraid to you know, let like Jason Sculptor that kind of thing, come back into the format just
1: because yeah.
0: they've had bad experiences. I think they're gun-shy.
1: Yeah, absolutely, I think the Grinchai, like, I think, you know, Ancestral Visions could certainly be legal. You know, the format is just mm, way, yeah. way way, faster than that is, and I think that it wouldn't be that big of a deal. I could, I'm sure it would create, like, a control deck, but right now, you know, like, now there's Grixis control because of Colgan's command, but, you know, I don't think that that would make that deck, like, dominant. I think that, you know, there's just, just so be a fast player. deck. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think that there's still going to be, like, burn decks that are going to make that slow, you know, control deck not feel good yet so i think that there's definitely a lot of room you know i think that um you know they unbanned golgari grave troll and like whoop-de-doo like yeah you it know, didn't change the thing. When's the, when's the last time you saw that card there's so there's definitely more cards like that on that list
0: yeah i think so too but it'll take more than one tournament to really iron out exactly what's okay because I mean, you know like maybe 10 events down the road you find out that storm is like people figure it out storm is way too strong maybe yeah right or just unfun to play against whatever yeah and yeah maybe it is legitimately like yeah you should probably keep this out of the format but you know yeah. i think it's something that they should explore
1: well on twitch uh you know we stre- we have a monday night legacy tournament that's fairly large for like a local legacy tournament and uh we stream it on twitch every week and so mm-hmm. between rounds they've been playing a lot of modern no ban list so they're getting in their reps there too cool so let's
0: talk about that how did you get into twitch like why didn't or why first off and then uh what's the setup
1: well i think uh i would have to give props to chris cornejo is one of our employees he's the assistant retail manager here at uh kirk kingdom and ballard and he's really passionate about streaming um so he's been pushing for that for a while and um, you know we didn't really have any money to pay someone to or multiple people to set up the channel and commentate and so he finally just kind of took the bull by the horns and he worked with. Uh, Casey Hogan, who is our uh, events coordinator, and they, um, they got some volunteers to do commentary, and um, they have a pretty simple setup, but it works pretty well. Um, you know, just a, just one overhead camera and then one commentator camera uh, just on webcams, uh, and then they have, you know, like a uh, just a little screen set up to block off the glare, and uh, they set up the commentators in the next room, And have volunteers that rotate every week to commentate on the tournament, and it actually works great. That sounds really cool. Yeah, you know, it's just one of those little things. I think that it seems like the Legacy tournament has been growing since they've started doing that. You know, I think that to some extent, everybody probably wants to have that moment where they're on camera, even if it's not like you know playing on the Pro Tour. It's still kind of cool to have that moment where you're playing Magic and 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 you're you're the feature match. Exactly, have people talking about your play and that kind of thing.
0: Mm. yeah i've been thinking about that recently about uh, the idea of twitch streaming because not every business does that like it's again it's one of those things that it's kind of intimidating like not everyone knows what twitch is in the first place yeah and then also like the uh the equipment costs and you know like, what do you have to do and like you said the commentators and stuff like that like the setup is a little uh interesting
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, getting, getting, um, I think the biggest hurdle is probably getting competent commentators, you know, people who are naturally talkative, people who know what they're talking about. Because if, you know, for instance, when I watch, like if I watch, because I'm most, Legacy is the format that I play the most. So when I watch someone commentate on Legacy, And they don't know what they're talking about because they don't play Legacy. It's like nails on a chalkboard, you know. When I see someone, yeah, when I see someone who's like a standard player and they're commentating on Legacy and what they're saying doesn't actually really make sense, it's kind of like I'll just try something else. Yeah, yeah. But we're lucky that we have a really involved Legacy community here. You know, we we have weekly tournaments that are forty to fifty people, um, which is pretty good for Legacy. And and you know, a lot of those people are really. You know they've played together for a long time, so now they're friends and they know each other really well, and they you know have a natural rapport. And so we just get a couple of different guys. You know we have a pool of I think like four guys that volunteer to do it, and they just sort of rotate and and they all do a pretty good job. And I could see that being fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. you know, spectating magic is is enjoyable when you're a magic player. It's not like it's not bad. People watch Twitch streams all the time, right? So the idea, and then like combine that with just talking about it. I could see that actually being like a, an enjoyable experience. But like, I'm not going to play in this tournament, but I'm going to be the commentator. Yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, and those guys, you know, they're really invested in Magic and in Legacy in particular, and so it's a cool way for them to get a payoff from that. You know, they get the opportunity to share all the knowledge that they've acquired from playing the format for years.
0: Mm -hmm. So, what kind of uh, numbers do you get from your twist stream?
1: Oh man, I don't know the answer to that. I think that um, you know, like we're the, you're looking at. Uh, I would say approximately 500 to a thousand total uh, viewers over the course of the evening, and you're usually, you know, somewhere like around 150 unique ve- viewers at a time, hundred maybe. That's I'm pretty prob- good. That's pretty good. I like, probably it's not small. Uh, yeah, I might be a little off on that, but it's in that general vicinity. Have you? Uh, do you think that like affects the business in any
0: way, or is that? Uh, I'm trying to like. Is that something that? Uh, other game stores could adopt and that they could move into? Do they think that would help them in some way or is that just like a really cool thing to do?
1: Well, I think if you can find a cool thing to do that you can manage to do without spending too much money on it, it'll definitely help your business because I think, you know, for for instance, we've seen uh, a little bit of growth in the size of the Legacy Tournament and, you know, I attribute that to be Partly because it's a little bit more of a spectacle, you know, like it's a little Mm. bit feels like a bigger deal if you're playing in this tournament. And Well, they've got, you know, like a feature booth set up there and they've got commentators commentating on that booth like, oh, man, how do I get there? How do I do that? Like, I want to come and play in that tournament because I want to be on that feature match. You know, I think that it just sort of adds a little air of something special to it. And I think that that attracts more players.
0: Cool. That's that's the answer I was hoping for. I'm glad it's turned out that way because then that's kind of, to me that sounds like something that uh, a lot of other game stores could really take advantage of if they just weren't so uh, afraid of the technology and the investment
1: and the effort Yeah, you know, and these days there's people out there I I think you would be pleasantly surprised if you have like a good solid committed tournament group and you know you you are actually involved with your clientele enough that you're talking to them and you know some of the people, you know, put put it out there like you'd be shocked at the people who would be happy to help you do that for free. Like there's you know there's so many people that want to be part of what you're doing. If you if you're running a game store and like you're nurturing a positive environment where people are becoming friends and and like meeting new people that actually matter in their lives like people care about that that's a big deal and people would love to pay that back so you don't have to have a huge budget for that kind of thing if you've got a committed group of players there's probably someone out there who has the skills or know someone has the skills and maybe you can just like you know feel it out and see can you help me do that? I don't know. You know, maybe they can, maybe they can't like, don't try to scum anybody into like, making yeah. them feel guilty to do it. But you know, you might be surprised that there's people, if you're doing the right thing by people, then they're, they might want to return the favor.
0: Yeah. I think most, uh, most game store owners would probably be shocked at the number of customers who would gladly work for them for free. Just like, yeah, well, you know, if you won't need help sorting cards, there's a good chance that one of your customers will be like, yeah, I'd love to. I'm, I'm very happy to be here and help just sort through magic cards all, the, all day. No problem. Yeah, Take advantage I mean, of customers who want to help
1: you. Well, you know, for instance, you know, we hold events sometimes where we'll have a niche kind of game. And uh, we don't always have the time to, like, have an employee sit there and run, you know, like a table playing some, you know, Role-playing game, mm-hmm. for instance, or something like that. You can't ha- you can't necessarily pay someone to do that the whole time, but you can certainly take advantage of an, of uh, a volunteer to do that. Like they, you know, and I, I guess I just said take advantage, but I don't mean that. Like I think they not in a bad way, not exploitive Yeah, they want to do that. Like there's people that enjoy that. You know, you just have to ask around and see who's interested to do that kind of thing. I think that that's pretty pretty normal thing, f- and you know, in in game stores is to find the people that are passionate about. You know, we'll have like. Small like minis tournaments, and we'll all constantly have people who are just community members uh you know run the tournaments there's there's volunteer judges that do that kind of thing all the time for magic. people love to get involved in games like you know people identify with games like they're part of their personality, and so being mm-hmm. able to express that by you know judging a magic tournament or running a you know a minis tournament or you know hosting you know jamming um, a game night, something like that. Like people love to do that kind of thing. You know, you just gotta, you just gotta be engaged enough with your clientele to know who wants to do that
0: and reach out just put out some feelers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm really liking this conversation. Yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> do you have a specific like plan for bringing in new customers to the store?
1: Um, yeah, I think with it, um, you know, we've, uh, tried to on our um, YouTube page we've got a lot of stuff going on as far as um, you know we've got a guy uh, Randy Bueller, I don't know if you're familiar with him he's Uh a Hall of of Fame Magic player so he uh, he does a uh, a weekly uh, stream that he does for Gauntlet of Greatness which is like taking the best standard decks of all time and playing them against each other and he streams that and then we repost it on Mox Boarding House um, in our YouTube page Um, And that's definitely like we do videos about um, tutorials or we'll do sort of humorous like reviews of videos. um, And, you know, that's all intended to get people involved with our store in general. So we want to be a place that is trustworthy for content. Like we want to be a place where people come to you know with the expectation that i can go here and i can watch this video on this board game and oh these guys seem like they're having fun and they liked it so i i can trust that opinion and i can go in there and buy it
0: so either entertaining or informational
1: yeah and you know hopefully both of those things
0: yeah of course why not why not get both
1: <laughs> so is youtube like a a big part of the strategy or is that uh, a- so youtube i think um wasn't intended to be a big part of the strategy originally um but uh for instance the, the thing that Randy's doing has got a lot of new subscribers and so now we're trying to look at um like, how do we actually take advantage of that and turn that into people coming into the stores? Yeah. Um, because we've got, it's it's tough with, uh, you know, our business model has a lot of different facets to it. You know, like we talk, we sell board games, we sell magic cards, we have on, an online store, we have two different locations that have two different names. You know, like there's definitely, uh, mm-hmm. there's definitely a lot of, workarounds and, and difficulties as far as trying to pinpoint like w- how do we best utilize this do we want to use that customer base to try to get people into the stores well maybe you know what's on the internet you know it's probably a lot of people that aren't from the local area maybe we want to try to use that to bring people to the online site you know so it's it's been a tough j- juggling act with that kind of thing particularly you know with mock sporting houses content we've you know definitely been working trying to figure out what the best way to use that is because if we're trying to like use it to get people to buy magic cards from cardkingdom.com it just doesn't quite make sense you know because you're on mocksportinghouse.com and then you have to link mm-hmm. to a different place and maybe you didn't realize that cardkingdom is affiliated with mocksportinghouse and all of a sudden you're on this site and you're like i don't know what this is i don't, I don't i'm not going to do that
0: it might scare them away
1: Yeah. You know, so there's definitely, uh, you know, you got to pick your battles as far as where and what your message is. So I think it makes a lot of sense as far as, um, getting people to come to the website. Like YouTube makes a lot more sense for that. Um, there are, there are a lot more avenues for that to work as far as, um, getting people to come into the stores. It's a, a different battle. I think that we have to, um, focus more locally, like the, the content that we put up on the the uh, blog we have a lot of like for instance if we'll have a PPTQ or if we'll have um, you know like a GBT or a big magic tournament or something like that we'll actually like take the results from that local tournament and we'll like break down you know like who's in the top 16 and what what are the archetypes that are represented at this tournament and who won and what are their deck lists you know and we'll actually write write an article about that tournament that happened at that. Place and that way we can actually have something for the local community to look at online and say, like, yeah, you know, I was at this tournament, like, okay, I'm gonna go play at a legacy tournament next week at that store. Let me look at what happened last week, and then you know, that'll prepare me for it. So, I think that Mm -hmm. really trying to focus on stuff that's actually happening in the store makes a lot of sense for getting people to come into the store.
0: Yeah, platform awareness is a pretty important realizing know exactly where the people are coming from and what they want and you know they're like if they're looking at your videos on youtube they're not necessarily local to you so yeah having an understanding of what your customer wants and how yeah. they're interacting with you is pretty important yeah so, and like, it's uh, tough
1: it's really tough sometimes because you know like for instance we have those same people are uh, you know are really interested in in you know like competitive magic strategy and that kind of thing, like that, and we have to say, you know, to ourselves, like, well, maybe we actually don't want to have this. Even if those same people are interested in that, they can get a better option somewhere else for this. So maybe we need to mm-hmm. focus on uh, what we can do better, as opposed to, you know, the other stuff that the cap the customer that we've already sort of got their attention we have to figure out how we can follow up in, in the way that's right for us, as opposed to like what their natural expectation would be for like a, a content site. Like, you know, we can't have like LSV writing articles for us or something like that. Like we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. So we have to actually figure out like what we can do within our means to keep them coming back.
0: Of course, gotta do what you can. Yeah. Not everyone can have a, a staff of pro players writing for their website. Yeah and even so there's only so many most of them are
1: pretty much taken yeah seems like it have has card kingdom tried um no not really um you know we've always known that that's you know if you're going to get into that kind of thing you really have to throw yourself into it i think that's the kind mm. of thing that we you know we wouldn't want to try to sort of half get into you know yeah. if if you're going to go for that it really is a really really big investment and
0: um and you want to be a contender
1: yeah, I am. I mean, yeah. I, I wouldn't want to get into that and be fighting with kid gloves on and everybody else is, you know, throwing haymakers.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, hmm. Well, is there anything we haven't, like, covered that you want to talk about? Um,
1: We have, we have gone over quite a bit. I'd say so. I'm trying to think. Um, Like, I guess maybe one thing um, that we're doing lately might be kind of interesting. We're doing, a like, okay. a... Uh, should I just jump in? Yeah, we're we're doing a thing uh, we call battle decks. So we have this um, this issue with you know when every time a set comes out, we sell you know the major cards from it, obviously, um, but then we're left with all of this overstock of you know the commons and uncommons that aren't you know the top tier competitive kind of cards, and we have so much of that stuff, and it's so hard to get money out of it. Well, we you know of friend of mine that works here Justin Treadway uh, you know we were talking about this uh, in in a meeting with uh, Damon Morris and we had the idea that like well what if we actually like make decks out of those cards because there's you know some of the cards that are in that category are a little surprising like they're you know like the tier 1.5 kind of competitive cards where they're almost there but they're just not quite good enough to make it into tournament staple status and then end up selling um, and so we can really make pretty competitive, pretty fun decks out of these cards. And so we decided, well, we should just make basically like kind of like our own dual decks, where we're just going to design a bunch of different decks. But they're not really dual decks in the sense that they're made to to play against one deck. They're just designed so that they're you know they use like the guild gates and um, the cons common lands, and they're like nine ninety nine, so they're really affordable. Uh, and they use product that basically. Uh, we wouldn't be able to sell otherwise. And we've we made up these decks. You know, we played them all against each other to make sure that they were relatively balanced. And there's, you know, kind of a paper, rock, scissors thing going on between most of the decks mm-hmm. where some of them can beat some of them and some of them have a tough time against some of them. Um, you know, but all the matches, you know, are relatively competitive. And the decks are actually really fun. And so we did this and it's been really successful. So we designed um, a first batch of them and they sold out right away and they sold out so fast that we weren't prepared for how fast they were sold out and cool. we we had to design new decks because we used all of the backstock of some of the cards and those and so we did it again and those ones sold out again and so we did it again and now we're kind of like on our third batch where they are still selling really well. Um, and it's something that, um, seemed like a pretty good idea. Like it was going to work. It's really fun to do. And then it turned out to be something that was actually like a niche that's not being filled right now. It really resonated
0: with those customers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that particularly like this kind of thing is something that you could do in, um, smaller stores, you know, if you can, if you, um, you know, it was really easy for us to do because we, we buy so many cards and we crack cards to sell as singles and mom and pop stores might not do that, but they can certainly buy, you know, uh, bulk singles for next to nothing and build fun decks out of them and then resell those decks. Like it's just like, it's a good thing to have because there's, you know you get that mom that comes in to buy stuff for her kid and she doesn't know anything about magic or whatever and she you know you have something to point out to you you know like oh you have like a like a entry level player or a young player um you know this is something that is ready made for them that they'll like they can get a couple of them and then that way their friend doesn't have to have a deck too they can just play them against each other the price point's really low so it's easy it's accessible um yeah i've just been really surprised at, at how well it's been received
0: yeah sounds like an awesome little uh little product mm-hmm. so i'm assuming it's gonna keep going as long yeah. as you can keep making them and people keep buying them
1: yeah absolutely i think that we'll keep doing you know the, the struggle so far has just been they've sold so quickly that we keep running out of like okay. one of the one of the cards in the deck all of a sudden we don't have enough to make them anymore and so we have to you know either retool the deck or scrap it and make a new deck um so i mean that's a pretty good problem to have though right yeah exactly And I imagine the margin on it's pretty solid. Yeah. um, I haven't done too big of an analysis on like the labor because it does take time to play the games and time to make the decks. But it's pretty clear, you know, like essentially it's cards that we – most of them at least we probably would never sell. And then some of them we would sell but we're basically selling them for the same rate that we would um, in this plus we're selling ones that we wouldn't sell at all. So it's kind of like gravy.
0: Yeah, that's a, it's a good idea, too, because that's like what we talked about before, there's 20,000 uh, there. a little background noise. <laughs> there's a, you yeah, know, there's like 20,000, 30,000 different magic cards. Not exactly sure what the number is now. But the majority of them, you know, well, they're, they're crap. Yeah, They're, they're just not going to stand out. And that's just the, the nature of the game, so figuring out a way to move those cards, because you're as a business, you're going to accumulate that stuff. It's
1: just going to happen. Yeah, absolutely, and there, you know, the thing is, like you say, crap. But it turns out, like a card like cancel is not that different from a card like you know dissolve. dissolve. Yeah. And when you put it into a deck, you know, that's intended to be like a casual kitchen table kind of thing. There's functionally no difference, and it's just as good. Yeah,
0: I, I say crap in a relative term, like in a loving term too. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I like these. I like magic. I like these cards. It's that just.
1: Yeah, I've lovingly played some crap cards myself.
0: Exactly. It's just, compared to the Tier 1 tournament level competitive stuff, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just not as good. It's a strict comparison, not as good. Counterspell yep. is not, or is uh, better than Cancel. It's just the way it's good. It's always going to be that way. But figuring out a way to uh, to make those cards that won't necessarily fly off your shelf somehow uh, more desirable. Repackaging
1: them is a great way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah and it's you know a good way to do it without doing something kind of shady like a repack where you you yeah. put in Yeah a running a lottery
0: is also kind of a, yeah. not a great thing to do. Yeah. 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 No that actually reminds me of a a couple of stores have done something similar where like you said about the the draft commons before where you donated them to the the child who didn't have magic cards of his own but uh, they would take like the leftover cards after running a draft. And just kind of sell them, or they would uh, present them as a ready-made collection, like a starter piece. Like you know, here's a couple hundred commons, and you know, like fifty or sixty uncommons. Here you go, and they just put it in a box and be like five, ten dollars or something. And somebody who's never played Magic before is like, oh, this is a great, great way to just pick up an instant collection. It Doesn't cost you a ton of money. You don't have to buy a booster box. You know, like, there's there's a market for that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know until that person finds out that what they bought was, you know, they actually do get into magic and they find out what they bought was a total rip off. And then they're pissed at the business that sold them that.
0: It depends. I think it, do- it can probably happen that uh, every once in a while, but you know, if they're getting value, if they're playing with it and they're having fun. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it is true. worthwhile for that experience. And you know, you could argue that with uh, booster packs in general, you're really, you're hoping for maybe a handful of cards and then the rest of them are just going to kind of, sit in someone's box yes right like that's kind of that's the fluff the values in the one card but that's just the way magic goes yeah yeah i don't know i think we covered a lot of great stuff today
1: yep i i'm glad that uh finally got a hold of you and and sorry you know i tried to try to get john and damon on here but they're busy they're man i'm sure busy folk and you know um Damon's had a illness in the family so he's been yeah. busy taking care of his family lately so he's been particularly busy.
0: do well, you got to take care of the family. Yeah, good for him.
1: Yeah. Well I'm I'm
0: really glad you came came on the show too. I'm uh, I was really excited to talk about uh, Mox Boarding House and Card Kingdom in general and just especially like this, this subject cuz the the idea of like the internet in general and just all the technology options and all the ways that, uh, you can use to grow your game store. Like, uh, that's that's a subject that I really like and I, not enough people really, uh, know anything about it. So I really wanted to cover that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. I was glad to be able to talk to you about it. I think that there's just so many options out there for people to do that kind of thing that it's great for people just to dive in and start exploring what they can do.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. All right. So, well, let's, uh, let's get to the wrap up phase, I guess. Okay. And then, uh. I guess the best thing to do now is to plug Card Kingdom, Ox Boarding House. Let everyone know where they can go to, to find you guys and buy your cards and you know, do all that good stuff.
1: Okay. Should I do that now? Yeah, go for it. Sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, if anybody out there was interested in buying Magic cards, stop by www.cardkingdom.com and we've got tons of singles and booster boxes and pretty much anything you could ever want to buy that's magic related as well as board games if you're into that kind of thing too Uh, our local store Mox Boarding House also has a website www.moxsportinghouse.com and uh, that's pretty much it thank you guys so much for having me on yeah no problem thank
0: you for coming on and sharing everything and uh, definitely go check out Mox Boarding House if you're local because it'll probably knock your socks off. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, I'll let you get back to your Labor Day... My Labor Day labor. Enjoyment, whatever you're doing, and uh, yeah, I'll talk to you later. All right,
1: thanks for having me. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.
0: Okay, I just want to thank Jordan again for coming on the show and sharing his expertise as the creative content manager for Card Kingdom and Mox Sporting House. If you guys get a chance, I would definitely recommend checking out Card Kingdom in person. They are some of the coolest LGSs on the West Coast. And if you guys like the show, let me know in the comments. Or shoot me an email and let me know. Tom at ManiverseSaga.com I read every single one, and they keep me going. If you haven't checked it out yet, go to academy.maniversaga.com. That's where you'll be able to find courses on various aspects of building an LGS that go a little more in-depth and get into the nitty-gritty details of the whole thing. You can enroll in the Academy for free and you get some exclusive access to new courses as they come out. Well, that's my pitch for today. As always, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you guys next week.